I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, supported by La Cole, here with Benji Nyson on Monday night for the Giro d'Italia Stage 10 recap, the last stage before the rest day. No rest for me. I've been packing up all day to fly to Europe tomorrow uh, in the middle of the afternoon. I've just been fighting with this bike bag, Benji. I swear to God, this Skycon bike bag. And, I mean, mate, I, I wish I just got a cardboard box and took my chances. I spent the whole Giro stage <laughs> trying to get this thing. Five minutes, five minutes, pack up. Oh, shit. Anyway, stage 10, gripes aside, 140 kilometres long, L'Aquila to Foligno, Quite a bit of climbing in the middle of this stage, actually. There's a climb at the start for a break to form, and then there's three climbs. 3.4K is 4%, 6K is 4%, 7K is 5%, the last climb, and then from the crest of that, it's 39K to the finish in Foligno. So each on their own of those those climbs, not really scary to any sprinters apart from maybe you and Ogronovegan. So the question was, would Bora be able to pace for the entirety of those climbs? And we'll see that in a second but a break did form early on Benji with some familiar names yes certainly Taco von der Horn once again already won a stage before together with his well companion dad was also in the breakaway back then Simon Pelo. he's been in the break a lot this Giro so far Marengo as well also a name we've seen quite a few times in the Rivi as well so seems like we've got the same people in the breaks every single uh, few days and then Kobe Holsen's ended up chasing that group and also catching that breakaway which made for a five-man breakaway for the stage it was a bit of talk before the stage about potential echelons but i didn't see too much of that to be honest like it, it wasn't really that in the end it was clear that bora wanted to try and get something out of the stage but we had some other sprint teams as well at the start already setting up a tiny tempo like we saw yumbo at the front of the peloton with grunewagen in sixth position before one of the climbs so i think his strategy was getting to the front of the peloton and then dropping through the peloton on the climb. And I can already assure you that that didn't really work out for him. <laughs> when we came to the hills that you were describing yesterday as the ones where Bora would be uh, pacing on, we indeed saw that happen. We saw that Bora came to the front and set up a, a pretty crazy tempo, mostly on the last one as well, pretty crazy tempo. And it included the likes of Buchmann also pacing, which, which is clear that they are throwing everything what they have on the table to try and make sure that Bora gets the best situation out of this. And this caused for people at the back to have trouble. And those people were including Kronewegen, including Merlier, but also Nizolo. And to be honest, I think you probably agree with this. Nizolo, this Giro, has been climbing worse than I remember in the past. Hilly sprint stages would be ones that I would be calling him out for. And I think that's also where he became European champs on a hilly sprint with the Plouet parkour, right? Yeah, I think the problem was, and we mentioned it yesterday, it's these a collection of the three, and he's fine on the first one, okay on the second one, beginning to slip back on the third, and it was just Bora being able, maybe it was that Buchmann pull, and full credit to Emmanuel Buchmann, some GC 
contenders, even if they aren't, you know, are up there, they still say, no, I'm not going to do that. Bookman foot pulling and commitment for Sagan, maybe it's different, I guess, the power dynamics, a bit different at Bora with Sagan being the big dog. So credit to Bookman. Fabro as well did a fantastic job at the start, really impressive from him and eventually they did drop Nitsola and I think Viviani's climbing better than him. Viviani seems to be climbing really well and uh, Gaviria as well. Gaviria was right there and it was weird because Kofidis and UAE weren't really helping after the climb. You've got Victor Campanas madly pacing, I think it was, with uh, Nitsolo in his wheel trying to come back on the descent. Bora pacing, eventually Israel sent up Arada to pace for Chimalai, who's actually beaten a few of these guys in the sprints in the last week, but no Covetus or uh, UAE team Emirates. Maybe they didn't really feel the need to anyway. But there was an intermediate sprint, Benji, which one of the most exciting intermediate sprints I can remember <laughs> for a long time. We've got yes. GC, I think Bernal's ahead of Remco by 12, 15 seconds or something. So the, the jersey can't change on the intermediate sprint. That being said, De Koenig, went straight to the front with Cavagna Benji and it was kind of, they all went too early. Each of them <laughs> went yeah. way too early. How did you see it? Yeah, it looked like that indeed. De Koenig was taking to the front very early, which means that Ineos had the time to respond to it because Ineos was not in the wheel yet at the moment that Remco was moving to the front. We're like a few wheels back and we saw that Bernal was moving up and then suddenly the entire Ineos swarmed around De Koenig and tried to take over and... What I found mostly interesting was that the moment that Bernal was in second wheel, I think it was Gannett, I was mashing the pedals to try and fly past Remco and the rider ahead of Remco. I don't know which the Koenig rider it was, the last man ahead of him. I think Almeida it was. No, no, no. Almeida was came late. Was it the last one? Uh, Almeida was okay. kind of caught off guard, I think, and he, he was just yeah? trying to play catch up. I'm not sure he really contributed at all. It was Cavagna that was the last man. He was cooked. Yeah, Gana flew past and he, he mashed those pedals with Bernal in the wheel. And honestly, I was like, okay, Remco, I don't think you're going to get past this anymore. Gana's riding away. The choo-choo train is passing. And suddenly Remco was coming back. The gap was getting smaller and Remco was getting to the wheel of Bernal again, obviously getting held by the draft of that, but still really impressive. And I saw Remco getting past Bernal. I saw Remco getting past Gana, I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then suddenly out of nowhere, Nervias came from the back trying to out-sprint <laughs> Remco. And eventually it led to Nervias taking the full three seconds, Remco getting second after mashing pedals for 500 meters. And then eventually Bernal also took the third spot while I think it was Almeida and that when came very late and tried to get that final second from Bernal. But now the question here is, there's a few things to look at. You've got the situation where Bernal is now losing one second compared to Remco, but is gaining one second compared to the rest. What if Narvaez didn't sprint that extra mile and, for example, didn't go for that first spot and then Remco got the three seconds and Bernal got the two seconds? Then wouldn't he have two seconds on the rest of the competition? But Or is that a bit of a hindsight comment? That's some big brain. That's some big brain stuff, Benji, because that's normally what Merku does is he lets Bennett win and then he tries to get onto his wheel in the intermediate sprints. Yeah. That's what he did at the Tour last year, right? He would always lead out Bennett, 
and then hold a bit back. Bennett would kick and then Merkel would slide onto Bennett's wheel straight away and try and stop Sagan and then create a two-second buffer at least, which is not what happened here with Navais. But I think it's just an instinctual thing that they just try and take the most seconds away from Avonapol as uh, possible. But, yeah, Benji's right. It actually meant that they didn't gain as much on Vlasov. Vlasov and Chicone kind of caught napping for that intermediate sprint, although – few seconds here or there yeah. shouldn't make too much difference. It was just really exciting. But then we had the run into town. It looked like Nitsolo was done. Merlier, Groenewegen all dropped to the sprinters we have, the quick men we have left in this group, Sagan, who have had Bora pacing like madmen on those climbs. They've got the outcome mostly they've wanted, I think, with Merlier gone. He was probably the quickest yep. man they wanted gone with Ewan abandoning the other day. And Gaviria, Viviani, uh, Chimalai and is there any Cantor? DSM started to bring up Max Cantor actually for uh, Team DSM. He's like a young German sprinter. I don't think he's won a World Tour race yet. There's also Aldani for Lotto Sudal now that Ewan's gone. Yep. And Bora weren't really taking it up too much. They're keeping in good position, but not like flat out pacing into the last case because there's a bit of a technical section here in the last kilometer they take a 90 degree right hander then a left at about 70 degrees then another left and then another 90 degree left through a roundabout that's not that concerning and then a sweeping right hand bend in the last 200 meters it looked like to me so you need to be first or second wheel through that last right hand bend we definitely could see that. And, uh, yeah, who took it up, Benji, in the last three kilometres? And uh, there was eventually, with all those corners, uh, a crash at some point. Well, in the last three kilometres, we saw that on the right side of the road, we saw that DSM was moving forward even more with Counter in the wheel. And a few times the commentators were saying maybe they're sprinting for Arndt because Counter, yeah, he's not the best climber out there. So I wasn't sure whether we actually made the difference here, whether you actually made it to that group to actually True. make it to this sprint. But that was certainly a, a team that was trying to get Counter into a good position before they went into these technical sections. But Bora as well, moving up as well. We saw that Viviani was not at the front. Viviani was in like 18th, 19th wheel width, two and a half kilometers ago. I was like, oh God, my Viviani pick, man, this is not okay. And eventually... They came to one of those corners and we saw that on the right side of the road, Gonsani took Viviani and moved him way to the front in like sixth or seventh position. And I finally had hope again for that. But then we came to another corner, I think in the last 700 meters or something. Yeah, and then we saw a crash less. happening. Well, actually, 1K to go, it was where the crash was. 1K yeah. to go, corner to the left, Max Gunter hit somebody. I think he actually had a shoulder bump with, with Gonsani, probably accidental in this corner. And this caused Viviani to have to like slow down completely, get to the wheel of Gonsani and try to get back to the other sprinters who have 20 bike lengths of, of a gap already on them. So Viviani was basically out of contention, contention from that point onwards. I did not believe in him getting enough energy to come back and sprint again afterwards. And no. at the front, we saw that Milano was trying something very clever. Because well, Bora, was Bora were trying on. to get away with yeah, it, Benji. Bora were trying yeah, to get away with they, – they were tired, justifiably. They'd been working a lot. Oss had been working a lot on a descent too to keep Nitsolo away. And they were trying to make sure they could lead Sagan through the last corner, second wheel, that sweeping right-hander. But the problem – and no one was taking it up until 
as Benji said, Molano tried something. They're at the back of a group of eight because of that crash. With they have Oldani in the group as well, and I think uh, Alperson, Rademacher, Krieger, and. Molano moves up on the right-hand side, the two lead riders of Bora, and he's got Gaviria on the wheel when he initially kicks, and he moves up. Gaviria's kind of there, kicking onto his wheel, and then Gaviria lets his wheel go, and we're about to go into this right-hand sweeping bend, and he allows Sagan to move into that slipstream, but Molano's kicking so hard, and he surprises Sagan that Sagan doesn't lose the wheel. He's just now having to chase Molano through that bend. He catches up to him mid-bend, goes round him to the left-hand side. Gaviria has slotted onto Sagan's wheel. So it's kind of like, you know, typical lose the wheel of your lead-out man, reverse lead-out, like we saw in Tour de Hungary, which I'm sure you were all watching with, uh, who was it? Fred Wright for Phil Bauhaus this week. And Sagan closes Milano through there. He kicks, he then goes to the far left-hand bend because, you know, wide apex, wide, totally normal through a bend like that. Begins to kick to the sprint right, kick coming out of that corner, probably trying to close a bit of space, I think, to the open side, which is normally we'll see sprinters do. And Gaviria's tried to come off the wheel of Sagan to the left-hand side to the barriers, sort of taking a shorter line, but he gets his wheel the wrong side of Sagan's back wheel, or he just gets completely indecisive, Gaviria, about which way he's going to go. Sagan then recorrects a little bit back to the barriers, nothing too crazy that Benji and I saw pretty good from Sagan, and he just outkicked him then with Gaviria on the wheel in the last 125 metres out of that corner. So incredibly strong from Sagan with his team working all day to win this Giro d'Italia stage 10, particularly with Gaviria and Viviani there as well. It's not like they dropped every single sprinter and he's sprinting against Ulysses. But Benji, who do you do you credit Sagan for being really strong, Gaviria for making a mistake, Milano for making a mistake? Where do you sort of lay the proportions of how this sprint played out and who and why Sagan won? I think Milano's move on the ride was very clever. I think that him moving up on the ride was clever enough to make that possible for either Gaviria following his wheel or having that reverse lead-out effect. And I think the issue with Milano, perhaps, that you can criticize him for is that he went for a gap that was perhaps becoming too small for Gaviria to follow him through. And yeah, that's that's something you can say, but I think that's in hindsight. I think the moment itself, Milano was thinking, how can I get Gaviria to the front ASAP? And that was the best way to do it. He flew through that gap and that offered Gaviria that choice. Gaviria decided not to do so because I'm not sure he was able to. The gap was smaller I think he, I think and he, could. he braked I think he in the wheel of... You think he could? Okay. Yeah, I'll believe no you. space. <laughs> okay. And he decided to sit up in the wheel of Sagan and follow Sagan's wheel because he was trying to indeed cause that reverse lead-out effect and let Gaviria, uh, Sagan do the chasing. And I think that Sagan was clever into taking that on but it was also risky. Let's say that he didn't recon this final, then it could have played really badly. Let's say that the corner into the finish line is 100 meters earlier, then it offers Gaviria a chance after that corner to pass again. But right now, those corners really helped him. The technicality of the last 300 meters was what, in my opinion, caused a lot of the trouble for Gaviria to find a way to pass him. And going through that final corner, Sagan indeed went a bit left and right, but that's it's completely allowed if you don't endanger anyone. A few people were commenting on, on Twitter and uh, on other places that it was perhaps a deviation. And uh, no, I, don't, I, don't, I disagree. It's not. Sagan went through that very fairly. And 
Gaviria was following, and as a consequence, he was straight up not strong enough to pass again anymore. And I think, Gaviria, yeah, Gaviria well, stuffed it. I think he stuffed it. Yeah. He he, yeah, he made probably. I think if the out of the corner, if it's three hundred meters full, a full three hundred, three hundred fifty meters, I think it's a good move. But with the corner being so close to the finish, it meant that yeah. basically. Milano was leading out Sagan and Sagan just had to kick out of that corner and as long as Gaviri didn't shoot under him, which he didn't straight away, it was all over in this sprint. And I think if Gaviria follows Milano's wheel, he's got a much, much better chance of winning this stage. I do think there's a it's probably 75-25 Gaviria-Milano in terms of the problem with the lead out. I think Milano leads out like he's doing a 15-second sprint. It's not smooth. It's herky-jerky. When he begins his lead out for uh, Gavidia from the back, he immediately seems to drop 1,300 watts and gaps Gaviria off the wheel and almost surprises him. It's not smooth like Morco, Mercu or Consoni bringing uh, Bennett or Viviani up respectively. And, yeah, he kind of he leads out like he's doing a sprint, and I think that causes problems for Gaviria. And then I think Gaviria was trying to do a sneaky and it just kind of backfired for him a little bit. But Sagan goes into the Chiclamino. Here is the top 10 results for the stage. Sagan first, Gavidia second, Chimalai third, Aldani fourth, Veramish Tabont uh, fifth and sixth for Alperson, Andrame Albanese, Viviani, Molano, and Nikias aren't 11th. So a lot of the sprinters dropped and a great, I mean, a clinic, absolute clinic from Bora today. Hats off to them. Yeah. Pacing on the climbs, keeping Sagan at the front all the time, avoiding the crash by keeping him at the front, which is part of winning the sprint. You've got to get there in the first place, which Viviani couldn't do. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah, having him first three wheels through that last corner, and he was good enough to finish it off. So excellent from Sagan. One of his, yeah, he's been winning sprints this year, Benji. Not just the big one, the breakaway in the Giro last year, but he's winning sprints. He's classic Sagan wins. So really, really good to see. In terms of GC going into the rest day, I mean, there was a crash, which it looked like Vlasov had gained time. That's since been corrected. GC going to the rest day, Bernal in the Maglia Rosa, 14 seconds ahead of Avonapol, 22 seconds ahead of Vlasov. Then it's Giacone, Valta, Carthy, Caruso, all about 40 to 45 back. Then the rest of the top 10 is Martin, Yates, and Formolo from 52, 56, and a minute two back, respectively. Martinez, Soler, and Bardet, about a minute 13, minute 20 back so gc's not over for pretty much the top 15 guys i mean i'd take i'd take vodavica and soler out probably and Volta as well as, as sort of actual legit contenders to win but everyone's pretty close so the gc is is super super tight uh, but yeah anything else from this stage that piqued your interest benji it's pretty controversy free from what i could tell yeah, I think that just the intermediate sprint will stay on my mind for quite a bit because imagine yeah, that, that was fun. eventually this this Giro out of nowhere gets decided <laughs> by one second, which is extremely <laughs> unlikely. And this of, intermediate sprint is what second. decided it. <laughs> and Benji's and comment about like Narvaez. <laughs> <laughs> That's, ah, that'd be class. Maybe. I yeah, doubt nah. it. <laughs> imagine though. We'd love to see it. Um, okay. Exactly. We'd just like to give a big shout out right now to our show partner, LaCole. They're sponsoring our Velo Games League for the Giro d'Italia. I mean, we're going to the rest day. Benji's going to have the full Velo Games recap 
and the preview of the Stage 11 there. But so far, I mean, the league also got 2,800 people all vying in contention for the Mountain Pro Air kit, Stelvio Orvon 2 full kit that I'm the doing great. have released. You're doing great? Will yeah, you, I'm if like you 58 win, if you win, 2,800. If you yeah. win, will you forfeit the Lacole kit to the, the fans or will you keep it for yourself? It depends on how nice they are in the next 11 days. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, no, no, no. I, I'm I not sure if they've it. updated it so far, <laughs> but um, some pretty pretty dodgy team names in the top 10, which is concerning. So maybe some <laughs> some warp geniuses are doing well. But yeah, big shout out to Lacole for supporting the pod and uh, we'll have some more news from them shortly. If you want to check them out before you Vela game, before you win the Vela games, you can get 20% off at checkout with LRCP20. They also have a Strava. Um, they're an entity on Strava. They've got a link down below if you want to join any of their challenges. They're always running challenges with discounts as well. But any other, how, how are you feeling, Benji? I'm, I'm not on the pod tomorrow. I've got to fly out, so Benji's taking over rest day duties I've got an interview tomorrow. I'll be back for stage 11, maybe from Chang Airport. I'll give you a few comments. Um, maybe, I'll, maybe I will, maybe I won't. But how are you feeling about this first week, Benji? Uh, excited? Has it play lived up to your expectations um, before you do your monologue tomorrow? I think I really enjoyed it. I enjoy uh, every Giro. And I think that it's just the circus around the Giro that does it for me as well. But racing-wise, we haven't seen too many changes GC-wise, but not necessarily a bad thing as well because it keeps the next two weeks interesting. Everybody's still kind of in play, I think. It's really sad about that Landau's out because I think that really took a bit out of the race. But we have to do what... We have to survive with what's left. That's what I mean to say. And there's still so much action that will happen in the next two weeks. And I'm just... The anticipation of stages is just as entertaining as enjoying the stages themselves. Does that make any sense? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that sometimes happens with the tour, but with the tour, you're like, nah, it'll be controlled. I think we've had more control in GC than perhaps I expected. The gaps really are not big. I mean, great stage yesterday, but at the end of the day, 10-second gap between the two favorite, the big contenders for this Giro d'Italia. So it's not really exploded GC-wise. I'm not sure the parkour supported that happening either short prologue not too like benji and i we'd always look at the stage and be like oh there's not much here to really entice the gc man that's why i think we've seen a lot of breakaways winning uh, a lot of breaks winning in this first week uh lafay taco vanderhorn some great wins good to see that but uh, i think next week should be a little bit tougher and i think montalcino will open it up and teams will have to try things in the second week because of that uh, but otherwise, we really appreciate your support. We're at, we're like thirty ratings off, a thousand reviews on podcast players. Really? If you want to, awesome. yep. If people want to get us over the line, we much appreciate it. It's been a big goal of ours for a long time. We'll like the video on YouTube and let us know what's been your favourite moment of the first week of this year at Italia so far. And perhaps Wait. on and, send, and perhaps send a few questions to Benji. I don't know if he's taking questions or not, but maybe let him know some questions on YouTube <laughs> or Twitter. But yeah, go on, Benji. Sure thing, I'll try and respond to uh, as many as possible, but I want to do a, a bit of a shout-out to uh, to Mauritius. Every single listener or viewer from Mauritius, well, uh, it's a second country that our podcast is on the number one of sports podcasts on. And uh, really? 
or was on, <laughs> not anymore today, but that's we'll forget about today. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> crazy stuff. Like it's it's insane to think how international this story has has become, and it's great to uh, to experience that with everybody. And the community community feeling around it is so so fun. So thanks for everybody's support and so forth. Definitely wanna wanna highlight that as well. Thank you very much. Yeah, and if if I didn't enjoy it, I couldn't do it. I mean, I don't want to complain too much, but I haven't gone to bed before five a.m. for now for a year, just about. And I'm I'm so cooked. I'm so tired. I feel like I've been hit by a truck every day. I'm making mistakes in my daily life. It's crazy. So that's why I, I can't wait to get to Europe and then maybe. I might talk a little bit less dribble, maybe some more hot takes. Who knows? Maybe I'll be completely crazier because at the moment you're getting the toned down, relaxed, tired version of me. Uh, so Benji can look forward to me being an absolute lunatic in about a week's time. But that's all from us and we'll see you with the rest day recap tomorrow. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 